Hello and welcome to the Ruor Europe podcast, your weekly roundup of the most interesting trends and developments in performing credit, stressed and distressed, restructuring and post-reorg in the European and SEMA markets. It's Tuesday, February the 7th. I'm Caterina Dassier. And I'm Andrew Ross. Coming up this week, reporter Beatrice Mervolian will discuss some of the key highlights in the primary market this week. Reporter Declan Bush will then join us to talk about British petrol station empire EG Group, which faces a maturity wall in 2025. Senior editor Magna Sherman will discuss the latest developments on Norwegian offshore service company DOF, which is undergoing some restructuring talks. Finally, senior legal analyst Azura Carmeli will discuss the increasing demand for sustainability-linked loans and bonds. Earlier today, I had a call with Beatrice about the highlights of the primary market this week. Here's what she had to say. Rubik's Group, a distributor of industrial maintenance, repair and overhaul products and services, was marketing an amend and extend of its 1.19 billion euro term loan B. Investors said the company has been fairly resilient as a result of both geographic and product diversification. However, leverage, particularly including the company's factoring, is high. Additionally, the company is likely to remain free cash flow negative after an M&A this year and next year, which is concerning, investors said. Luxury fashion brand Isabel Maran um, upsized its, 200, um, its 2028 senior secured notes to 265 million euros to fund cash on the company's balance sheet. The original 250 million euro amount was being raised um, to be uh, used for refinancing and for general corporate purposes. The notes are now priced at 8%. Investors highlighted that the company has performed well over recent years. It was resilient throughout the COVID-19 pandemic and is well positioned as a luxury brand, which holds up better during economic downturns. It has shifted its focus to more casual clothing, which helps support performance. It also benefits from strong wholesale sales, accounting for about 70% of total sales, which kept performance steady during lockdowns. Although paying a dividend, in this case 60 million euros to shareholders, is always viewed as negative, the company is only re-leveraging to about 2.8 times, which is relatively low. Consumer data company Nielsen IQ is marketing a $2 billion equivalent incremental term loan B due in 2028, mostly in dollars, with a $500 million equivalent tranche in euros to fund its acquisition of peer GFK and to pay down its outstanding RCF balance. Dutch artificial grass provider Tencat is marketing the 274.3 million euro term loan B add-on maturing in September 2028 that it had postponed in October last year. The proceeds of the add-on will fund Tencat's acquisition of US-based Hellas. Investors noted that the company has outperformed expectations since last year and its uh, increased exposure to the US market will be beneficial. Chemical company Ineos Group launched a 2 billion euro equivalent euro-dollar loan package, the proceeds of which will be used alongside other secured debt to repay the company's remaining outstanding euro and dollar term loan bees due in 2024 and for general corporate purposes. Investors highlighted that the company announced in a trading update last week that fourth quarter EBITDA fell 51.8% year over year and 23.3% quarter over quarter to to 392 million euros. The group said its performance was adversely impacted by non-cash inventory holding losses as a result of the large decline in crude oil and product prices in the quarter. However, Ineos um, 
has performed well um, over the majority of the last two years, one investor noted. Disappointing performance may last for another two quarters, possibly compounded by competition from Chinese exports to Europe, with a recovery expected thereafter, he added. Ford Motors is marketing a benchmark four-year euro-denominated senior unsecured note for general corporate, corporate purposes. And modular power generation and temperature control company Agreco is marketing a 130 million euro fungible term loan B add-on and a $300 million non-fungible term loan B due, both due in 2026 to repay and refinance existing debt and finance the acquisition of US peer Resolute Industrial. British petrol station Empire, AG Group, is drawing more attention as investors wonder how it will deal with its $8.5 billion maturity wall in 2025. The market spent weeks digesting how a rumored merger with the Asda supermarket change would work, as well as the sale and leasebacks or asset sales. Declan, you have been looking at the company closely. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Katarina. Why is EG looking at a merger then? Well, EG expanded rapidly around the world by buying up assets with cheap debt, piling on about $8 billion in the past five years. Now, with about two-thirds of its debt at floating rates, leverage is over six times. That's not sustainable with such a big maturity wall in 2025. Both EG and ASDA are owned by the ISA brothers and TDR Capital, so they could probably do it under the bond docs, but there are questions about it. And what kind of questions? UK competition law for a start. A merger of EG and ASDA would give the business something like 700 petrol forecourts and more than 100 convenience stores. EG has had to sell stations in the past to get an acquisition deal through and the UK Competition and Markets Authority will look closely at this one. Uh, Higher petrol prices could also mean political pressure on the CMA to look tough on EG. Uh, ASDA's finances are another issue. It has less debt and later maturities than EG, but taking on so much EG debt will make refinancing its own 2026 maturities harder. And some sources think that sale and leasebacks or even hold disposals won't even raise enough to fix the 2025 problem. And then you come to more questions. Is the EG real estate really worth the 10 billion that management says it is? Are there any buyers? Would they be willing to buy in this M&A market? Um, Higher fuel margins since the war in Ukraine might have inflated its asset values, so will buyers pay those inflated prices? So lots to think about. Okay, so how is the market looking at these risks? It's pretty split on EG, and many don't see it as a distressed credit. The debt still trades in the 90s, the business is probably resilient in a recession, 2025 is still some time away. Uh, Longer term, the switch to electric cars is an issue since you can charge them at home. But EG has a lot to think about before that is its biggest issue. Thank you, Declan. The Norwegian offshore services company Dof has been in debt restructuring talks for more than three years. And last week, there was an important development. Earlier today, I asked Magnus to walk us through the situation. Yes, we have now finally reached a conclusion on DOF and it ended the way that most people thought it would um, with a complete creditor takeover. Uh, lenders and bondholders will share the post reorg equity in DOF uh, roughly 50-50 and um, they will then write off about 22% of their claims and reinstate almost 20 billion NOC, that's uh, $1.95 billion dollars 
of debt in a new capital structure, which will have um, almost six times leverage when it emerges. This was actually announced over the summer in June. And you might then think, why did it take so long? Why are we in February and why is this not already implemented? Well, there was a very uh, clumsy attempt by some activist shareholders in Norway to restart negotiations, force the company into uh, redoing all of these um, talks that have been going on for the past three years. Um, and it really started with um, the plan that was announced in June with the terms I just explained. That was put to a shareholder vote in November. And this this um, shareholder group had grown in size uh, by then large enough for them to be able to block the plan at an uh, EGM in November. That forced DOF uh, to go to its fallback plan, which they had already agreed with the creditors. And the creditors have always agreed on, on, the, on this outline um, that I just mentioned. So they entered something called a reconstruction process in Norway, which is an in-court process that was actually set up only uh, in 2020 during COVID. It's exactly the same plan in the reconstruction uh, process, but uh, the credit the uh, the shareholders will get a worse uh, recovery from that. Under the June plan, they were set to get four percent of the shares in the new DOF company. Under the reconstruction plan, that drops to one percent. Um, so that was a way for the creditors to incentivize shareholders to say to accept the the deal initially. They didn't, and therefore they uh, the company uh, entered this reconstruction process. And that not only did that, but the shareholders also pushed the board out of the way. They forced the new board uh, to take over um, the, 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 I guess, senior management of DOF. And with this new board that was elected by the minority shareholders, the uh, the chairman came in, said, this is a fresh start for the company. We're going to reevaluate and look at all the things that have been talked about, share way more information with everyone, including the shareholders. This was a way to address um, the overarching argument that the shareholders had made, which was that there had not been enough uh, scrutiny of the, um, the valuation that was put on the company's assets, which is a, a large fleet of offshore support vessels. They thought it was way uh, worth way more, and therefore uh, a, uh, there wasn't this big need for a, a hard debt restructuring. So the new board take, takes over in December um, and about a month later, at the end of January, uh, the chairman comes back and says, with no new information, by the way, we uh, are only going to be able to offer something that's very, very similar to the June plan, which, but the only difference is that the existing shareholders will get 3.75% under this new proposal. Everything else stays the same. So you think you think okay maybe this would this would lure in uh, shareholders because they were set to get one percent now they're getting three point seventy five percent but last week it then became clear that these shareholders were not even backing that proposal they wanted to change the board again apparently unhappy with the way things have been conducted in those uh, six weeks so um, they tried to get a new board, board on board, but um, the reconstructor, this in-court um, administrator hired by the, uh, the Norwegian court process, said, no, we need uh, to be able to show that there's a reasonable 
um, chance for this restructuring to go through and without the shareholder support for this proposal that was put forward by the board, we can't do that. And so that failed and uh, the company then opened bankruptcy proceedings in Norway. This is the largest bankruptcy proceedings ever in Norway with a 25 billion knock of debt. Um, and in that process, the uh, creditors still take over the business. They will just implement it by setting up a new co, which will present a bid to buy the DOF business out of the bankruptcy estate. They pay with their claims instead of cash. Um, and that way they take over. And crucially, these uh, activist shareholders and every, every shareholder in DOF will now receive 0% recovery. So a quite a clumsy attempt by, by them to, um, to, to reshuffle everything here. And as a result, um, they get nothing. Instead, uh, we have the creditors, which are um, Cross Ocean, CVC, Sculptor, ABM, Enro. Uh, BNP Paribas, Deutsche Bank, DNB and Nordea, uh, among others, and a group of bondholders taking over uh, DOF, and we expect uh, this to be implemented in the, in the coming weeks. 2021 was a stellar year for the European leveraged loan and bond market. Azzurra, can you tell me about sustainability-linked financing in 2022? Despite the slowdown of European primary market in 2022, sustainability-linked financing continued to gain prevalence. As reorg proprietary ESG data shows, sustainability-linked loans steadily increased to 50% compared to 44% in 2021, and sustainability-linked bonds remained at a consistent level compared to 2021, 15% from 16% the previous year. And what about the economic incentive? Have we seen any developments with respect to the pricing mechanisms and adjustments seen in 2021? Well, I think what is interesting overall is that both on the loans and bond side, we have seen a certain level of standardization with respect to pricing and mechanism and adjustments. On the loan side, the ESG margin ratchet will increase or decrease on the basis of the borrower's performance against preset ESG criteria. While on the bond side, we continue to see only a one-way pricing adjustment with the coupon or the redemption premium increasing if the issuer fails to meet its targets. However, in 2022, we saw Vodafone Zico including for the first time in a sustainability-linked bond an economic incentive if the group met its sustainability targets. In terms of economics, pricing adjustment continue to remain modest both in loans and bonds. Just a 12.5 basis points increase to the coupon was applied in most of 22 sustainability-linked bonds for each unmet target, and a cumulative ESG margin adjustment within the range of 7.5 basis points and 10 basis points for sustainability-linked loans. That's very interesting, um, Azzurra. I've also heard that EMEA Covenants has now developed a new database tracking sustainability-linked loans. Can you please tell me more about it? Sure, I would love to share this exciting news. We have tracked sustainability-linked loans since 2021, and now EMEA Covenant subscribers can have access to our ESG loan database, which tracks more than 40 data points. This is available on the representative term loan database. If anyone is interested in knowing more about it, they can reach out to our commercial team. Thank you, Azzurra. Thank you. 
Reorg at our upcoming webinars. Tomorrow, Reorg's senior legal analysts will discuss European leverage finance trends, how covenants evolved in 2022, and on February the 13th, Kirkland and Ellis and Reorg will be reviewing Chapter 11 filings and trends over 2022 in a conversion hosted by the American Bankruptcy Institute's John Hartgen. Register now at reorg.com or email marketing at reorg.com for further information. We would like to hear your feedback to help us improve the podcast experience. So please take a moment to complete the survey at the link attached to this podcast and let us know how we're doing. More information on all the situations and events discussed in this podcast are available on our website reorg.com. We hope you can join us next Tuesday for another Reorg Europe podcast. Until then, have a great week and thank you very much for listening.